This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. All right, so there is definitely no hiding my super sexy radio voice today. We have been going through the throes of illness at our house, and I am the most recent victim. So I have to say, I feel a little bad that I wasn't super sympathetic when Vinny was sick last week, and now I have it, and my throat is killing me. So I'm delighted to be recording, but yeah, I sound a little different, and I have been trying to save my voice all day in anticipation of this interview that we're doing tonight, which I'm really, really excited about. So I've done the best I can. I will be sipping on my lemon ginger tea. I was told that I should gargle whiskey, but I was afraid I'd be too tempted to drink it. So I didn't go that route. Before we dive into our interview, I just want to give you guys a huge thank you, thank you, thank you, and send you all like hugs and high fives and all the love because we have hit three categories in new and noteworthy. And I've hit the number one spot in all of my subcategories. So the Shameless Mom Academy has been number one in kids and family in New and Noteworthy. We've also been number one in society and culture in the personal journal section. And then in the health category, we've been number one in the self-help category. So super, super exciting. That was my goal. My goal when we started all this was to get into new and noteworthy and hit number one in all three of those categories. And we did it. So I have to thank you guys because I certainly did not do this alone. You guys listening and your feedback has just been so positive and so motivating. And it's really, really made me excited and inspired to 
make more episodes and keep plowing through with this because it's actually, it's been such a fun adventure. It just feels like a super fun hobby at this point. It doesn't feel like work at all. So I'm really excited to keep going and I so appreciate all the feedback. So if you haven't left a review yet, I would love a review. We're getting so close to 100. I think when I last checked, we were at 93. By the time this episode airs, we'll even be further than that. So I would love to hear from you. You can always leave a review at www.shamelessmom.com forward slash review. And also make sure that you're subscribing And then here's what I would really love. If you could share on Facebook and social media, if you could share episodes that you love, or if you could just share, you could share the whole podcast. You can go into iTunes and get the link of the whole podcast, or you can go to our website and get the links to individual episodes. Anything that you can share with people who you think would find meaning in this podcast would mean the world to me. So thank you so much for the love so far. I look forward to returning it tenfold. So with that, tonight we're doing a really cool interview. So we're interviewing one of my dearest friend's little sisters. And this is such a fun interview for me because Jillian Mitchell is someone that I've known since she was in high school. And so I think of her as being this little girl and she's not. And you're going to see as we go through this interview that she's actually made some of the most adult decisions of any of the adults I know. So I'm really, really excited to be interviewing her. She went through some significant family decisions and family struggles over the last few years in regards to how she and her husband decided they wanted to build a family. And the great thing about families this day and age is that you do truly have the opportunity to build your family the way that you want to build it. And I love the way that Jillian and her husband, Maddie, have gone about that. So Jillian Mitchell is a mom to a one-year-old little girl, baby Hazel, and a four-year-old boy, Fletcher. Jillian and her husband, Maddie, adopted their son through the foster care system. They chose to expand their family in this way because they wanted to give a child a home who needed one, and they had a strong feeling that a piece of their family was out there to find. Although the road to finalizing the adoption was long, bumpy, and at times traumatizing, Jillian is so happy everything happened as it did and couldn't imagine her family any differently. Along with being a mom to two young kids, Jillian holds a job and is starting a house edition. She tries to be a good and supportive wife and shamelessly squeeze in some time to be by herself. So with that, I have to say, when I was coming up with these interview questions, I was crying just typing the questions out because I know what some of this journey has been like. I certainly got many updates along the way through Natalie, Jillian's older sister, who, like I said, is one of my dearest friends. But I haven't gotten to talk with Jillian at length about all this before. And I have to say, I'm really glad we're doing it not face-to-face in person because I think I would just cry the whole time. I have so much respect for what Jillian and Maddie have done with their family and the choices that they've made. And they were some really, really difficult choices, but they also came from such a place of love. And so I think it's one of the coolest stories that I know. So I'm really excited to share it with you guys. And hopefully between my sexy radio voice and me being on the verge of tears, my voice won't be super crackly, but I think that you'll love this story. I think that it's a hard story, but it's also full of a really great positive ending and full of great lessons. So let's go ahead and dive in with Jillian Mitchell. Jillian Mitchell, thank you so much for joining us today on the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm really, really excited to talk to you and hear your story. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. I'm so excited to be a part of this podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I knew when I started this and I was trying to think of people who had different stories and different kinds of families and different melds of families, you immediately came to mind. And I interviewed 
recently a woman who is a stepmom. And actually, we just were talking today and she said doing her interview was the first time that she really felt like she's recently married and with her marriage came teenage children. So she dove into motherhood that way. And so for those of you who listened, this was Jen Briggs episode. So Jen said that going through that interview process was the first time she really talked a lot about being a mom. And to listen back to that was really cool to kind of process like, wow, this is how my family came to be. And now I'm embracing this new role. So I'm excited to hear how your family came to be and how I know it's been an emotional roller coaster. And there's been a lot of things that you could embrace right away and a lot of things that you had to take some time before you were able to fully embrace. So I'm excited to talk about all of that. Yeah, definitely. So I've also found that just talking about the situation is cathartic. Yes. You know, I mentioned in your intro that I'm very worried that I'm going to start crying. (laughs) I have to say that everything that you guys went through when Fletcher was a tiny, tiny baby, I would get these texts from Natalie all the time with little updates. I felt like it was super hopeful text followed by like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next kind of a text. (laughs) And so, and it was so gut-wrenching on my end. I cannot imagine what it was like to experience all that and not know how it would ultimately turn out. So that's what I'm excited to put together some of those pieces tonight. And I think it'll be a really fascinating story for other people and hopefully really inspiring because what you and Maddie did is something that so many children deserve to have. And many, many people don't think that they have the capacity or don't know that they have the capacity to do what you guys did. So I'm excited for you guys to be able to share that experience because it might impact another little boy or girl's life. So why don't we go ahead and dive into how did you and Maddie decide that you wanted to do foster adoption? Because like you guys were young. It wasn't like you'd been trying to get pregnant for 10 years and couldn't have kids, which is I think, right. the more common route. Right. It is. Yeah. In all of the trainings that we had to go through to get licensed for becoming foster parents, we were always the youngest in the back, basically. <laughs> and how old um, were you? So I was 27. Okay. And... My husband, Maddie, was 30 when Fletcher was born and when we brought him home. Before we were married, we talked about adoption. My husband had just said that he always felt like he wanted to adopt, that it seemed like the right path for him. And I was really open to it. I loved the idea of it. And in looking into it more, I really wanted to do foster to adopt because, you know, we assumed we could biologically have children. And so the point wasn't just for us to to get a baby that we really wanted. It was to give a child a home that needed one. And, you know, in looking into it, there were just, oh, so many children that needed homes. And we have an amazing familial support network here, as you know. Yes. You know, I'm lucky to be, I'm like the honorary adopted (laughs) sister of the You are. (laughs) So we just thought, you know, we have a great situation to bring a child into our life who might need a little extra TLC. And I'm going to insert a little bit about your family because your older sister, Natalie, is one of my dearest friends. And I lived with Natalie and your older brother, Kevin, for a while as roommates. And then I also worked with your older sister, Amy, who's also a good friend. So I have this like network in your family. (laughs) And when my family wasn't living near me, I spent like holidays. And to this day, like we spend Easter now, it's just a given that we're going to spend Easter with your whole family. And my husband is so funny when he first started to meet everyone in your family. He's like, wow, they're all so nice. And then after a while, he's like, and this is not normal. They're like all way too cool. And like, they all get along with each other and they all want to hang out with each other way too much. (laughs) So when you say you have a really supportive family network, like 
<laughs> that is an understatement. You have right? an amazing, amazing family <laughs> network, which is so great. And you live next door to your parents. And like by I choice. was just about to say, and to cap it off, we live next door to my parents and two blocks away from my sister. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because this is like not common Seattle family life. <laughs> no, not at all. It's, it's really, really cool. So did you know right away that you were going to do foster to adopt or were you potentially just going to foster? No, we always wanted to foster to adopt. Going into it, I thought that, you know, fostering just wasn't right for us. We wanted to know that that child was going to be ours forever and we wanted a forever family. Okay. But did they warn you that like sometimes that doesn't happen? Oh yeah. Yeah. Because I know that we've had friends where that they have fostered for like two years going down the road toward adoption. And then it didn't end up working out like someone, a biological family member became involved and wanted to take the child. And after two years, they ended up losing the little girl. Oh, Um, it's just heart wrenching. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't imagine that kind of situation. So you guys knew going in that there was the potential for it could for it to go either way. Yep. Yeah. As they say, fostering is always temporary and adoption is always permanent. Okay. It's kind of what they say in the trainings. And so it's just this really crazy limbo that you live in as this foster to adoptive parent that you're just the foster parent who does everything and is responsible for everything with this child. But then, you know, in one 15-minute court appearance, you're then an adoptive parent for the rest of their life, and they're your child. So it's just this really odd struggle until things are finalized. Yeah. So tell us about the day that you met Fletcher. Uh, It was nuts. (laughs) So our adoption agency had said, you know, around the holidays, things really slow down just because, you know, people kind of have their shit together more. And you know, people are on vacation a lot. So things just don't move so quickly. And you've been waiting for a long time up to that point. I don't remember. No, we were licensed for about six months. And so we had been getting emails and calls of, you know, these children are available and we'd say yes or no, that we were interested. And then we'd hear back sometimes, sometimes not of whether we were chosen or not. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was a really, really crazy time. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was December 27th and at like 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the evening, we get an email with a brief description of this four-day-old baby that needed a home. And immediately we were like, oh, this is our son. This is it. You know, we email back the social worker like, yes, we please put our hat in the ring for this child. Mm-hmm. And then the next day at about 10 o'clock, they called and the social workers called and I was at work, but my husband had the holiday time off. And they said, you know, you've been chosen. You guys seem like a great fit. And the baby can be picked up in a couple hours. We'll give you a call. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, 
which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listener can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. What is it like to get that kind of a phone call at work? (laughs) I was on the cell phone to my husband while he's on the phone to the social worker, and I'm just like, what? I can't hear. What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) And so then, uh, you know, my husband calls. He's like, okay, I have the instructions. I'll come pick you up. Like I grabbed some hand-me-down clothes from my sister and came and picked me up with a car seat that, you know, again, luckily we have lots of family members with kids. And so we went into the hospital with an empty car seat and came out with a full one. Was it the same? Did did he leave the same day? He left the hospital the same day? Yeah. We were there with him like for an hour. (gasps) Wow. And, you know, we walked into the nursery and I just looked over and saw this tiny little, you know, burrito with all this hair coming out the top. And it was just like, (laughs) that's him. There's our son. Oh my gosh. And it was amazing. It was just like, oh, there you are. (laughs) We've been been looking looking for for you. you. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, we just picked him up and he cuddled into us and went back to sleep and just smiled. And it was heavenly. 
What is it like to, I'm sure you immediately felt a connection. Hmm. Was there any reservation with that, knowing that you potentially had a long road ahead of you? Or were you able to just assume that everything was going to work out the way you wanted it to? There was no reservation, you know, with going through the trainings and having such open communication with my husband about it beforehand, we just said that whatever child we bring home deserves all of our hearts, no matter what happens. When they are with us, we will love them like they will be with us forever, no matter what happens. So yeah, that's just how we went into it. But I didn't have to remind myself of that. There was just this gut feeling that it will always work out. Even in the darkest of times, there was this slight comfort of, but I know it's going to be okay because I know this is my son. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Backing up just a little bit, were you able to clarify like certain parameters around like family background or ethnicity or anything along those lines? Oh yeah. It's crazy. You do this super long questionnaire of what you're comfortable with of like scale of one to five based on mental health, physical health, ethnicity, age, gender, involvement of the biological parents, everything you can put in there. Oh, wow. We had no preference for race or gender. Age, we said under five, and we were kind of hoping under two. Okay. And we didn't want to have too severe of physical handicapped. Okay. But that was it. Wow. I didn't realize that you got to make so many selections. Oh, yeah. And then we kind of also knew there were some drug exposures that we weren't comfortable with in reading. So you could kind of handpick? We could. Yeah, we could handpick. And we just said, you know, like, for example, meth. We were like, you know what? I'm sorry. And good for anyone who will take a baby who's been exposed to meth, but we just can't. Okay. So you can be extremely specific. That's awesome. That's great. So Fletcher came home after an hour at the hospital. Yeah, <laughs> and, like life is I'm assuming like you didn't go to work the next day. <laughs> so yeah. Were, were you able to just immediately like roll into maternity leave then? Kind of. <laughs> I didn't get too much maternity leave, but I got extreme amount of flexibility instead. Okay. okay. So Which was maybe had... a blessing because you ended up needing that long term. Exactly. Yeah. So he had basically just maybe a week or so after we brought him home, he started visitations with his birth mother. This is very common, I think, because the state, and I'm Mm -hmm. sure it varies from state to state, but generally speaking, the state always works to keep biological families together if there's any way to do that, correct? Correct. Correct. And so these visitations are like the most important thing that they really try and have as much as possible. And the parents get a lot of chances. A lot, a lot, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) When it seems like, I mean, like this sounds so judgmental, but... I know and you can share some of this, but like there was times when it didn't feel like that was the fairest thing for the child. Exactly. It's not judgmental. The choices aren't driven by the child's best interest. They're more driven by the birth parent's best interest for sure. So explain a little bit about that and how that, I know the visitations were a big struggle. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the judge awarded the birth mom would get four visitations a week that I believe they were three hours each. Oh my gosh. And I can't be in them. So I would drop him off at the social services and the social worker come out and take him in. And then I would go to work for a couple hours. Luckily, it was pretty close. And then I'd come back and pick him up. And it was horrible. Were you able to focus on work when you were at work? It just seemed normal after a while? Or was it just always really stressful and gut-wrenching? It was always stressful because 
I'm glad I had work to focus on. Otherwise it would just drive me insane Yeah, watching the clock. Like it was later on because there were three stints of visits over two years until he was about two. That's when they were done. Okay, And so they were for the first four months of his life. And then there was, you know, a month when he was around seven or eight months. And then there was about five months from when he was about 18 months to two years almost. Oh, so the visitation wasn't continuous the whole time? It was not. Oh, I thought she, it happened. No, birth mom wasn't clean. So whenever okay. she was clean, she got visits. Okay. So they moved venue. Depending on where she was in rehab, They the social workers decreased them over time because it was just, I mean, once he got older, he was just screaming, crying the entire time. Yeah, I would be in the parking lot in the car hearing him cry Ugh. inside. Were you just hysterical? I was a mess. Yeah. Oh my God. It makes me like feel nauseous thinking about that. Yeah. Just and how it was just painful that would be. It was very painful. But then I don't know if it was a blessing or not. Like he was really demanding of me and my husband, but he just needed a lot of us. And so at one point, the visits when he was about 18 months to two years, it was really impacting him. And I basically only left him to go to work. And I only worked like 20 hours a week outside the house. And when he went to sleep, then I would go out and be social. But it was something he needed. He was really upset when I would leave. And so I had to be fully engaged with him. So it was kind of good that it was distracting that way. Yeah. While we were just kept waiting for the court date while it kept getting pushed back and get, I remember, kept getting pushed back. I remember I remember oh my gosh. I remember it felt like every time I would ask Natalie about it she's like it got moved again it got moved yes. again. It was just if it wasn't so awful it would be hysterical yeah. of like this comedy of errors. Yeah. But then it was done and all of a sudden it was done. <laughs> it's just so crazy how yeah. it can go from so awful to then just Oh, wow. That's in the past. Did you expect it to be like that two-year window? Did you expect a roller coaster or were you just constant? Like, were you, did it feel, I'm sure it felt unfair, but did it feel like this is not what we signed up for? In the end, it definitely felt like this is not what we signed up for. This is not what any person should have to go through. This is not what any child should have to go through. Right. In the beginning, it wasn't so much because after the two stints of visits before, when they were done, we were like, oh, we're done with that. You know, now we just need to finalize the paperwork to terminate, you know, parental rights and we'll move along. And then just as things kind of got ready to do that, she'd pop up again. And it was like, what? Oh, my God. And then it would be awful. So we weren't expecting it to take that long at all. Yeah. Especially since this was the second time it's happened for her. Yeah, so we really thought it, even- it was... Yeah, like when you look at someone's track record, it's oh, makes it even yeah. harder to be patient and sympathetic. It is. But the good thing is, is there's just this sweet, innocent child at the center of it that keeps you grounded of why yeah. you're doing this. Yeah. So how did you and Maddie cope during that time? Because I would imagine you guys probably coped in different ways. I'm sure it did impact your marriage. Yeah, it did. And we did cope in different ways. We're kind of the typical male-female where I would want to be talking and cuddling and he would want to be like going for a walk by himself. (laughs) (laughs) The opposite of talking and cuddling? (laughs) Or drawing by himself in his office. (laughs) But, you know, we had a really good open communication about it. 
which was the best thing, you know, yeah. so we could just talk about, I know that you would rather be doing something else, but I need this from you right now. Yeah. And yeah, there were definitely lots, some snapping at each other and fights over nothing that were right. really just us being upset deep down. Yeah. But we just talked. That was the best thing. Yeah. We just were really open about it. And it, gosh, at the end of it, we couldn't be any stronger feeling like we could do anything together now. Oh, I'm sure. Because I feel like Vince and I never really argued about anything until we had a child. And, you know, compared to your situation, there was like no stressors, you know, like I, <laughs> I kind of hated breastfeeding, but like that's not relative to what we're talking about here. Like that's not that big of a deal. Right. And I remember getting in a fight about going to dinner one night. <laughs> we were going to take Vinny. I like put myself in the closet and slammed the door. And I remember Vince was like, I don't even know what to do with this. <laughs> like, who are you? You do not like hide in closets and slam doors. And so I just think that like the impact of adding a child to your family in any capacity can be pretty hard on a relationship. I can't imagine in that capacity where it's so long and drawn out and just so tumultuous that I just imagine that that would be really, really challenging. But like you said, if it doesn't break you, it'll make you stronger. Like you can only be stronger at the end of all of that. Right. If you survive yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So were there moments when you thought that the adoption might not go through? Because I know there was a couple times, as you've referenced, like the biological mom would come back into the picture and the court would give her another chance. And I know there was a couple times in my communication with Natalie where she was like, what if this doesn't happen? Like, what if the mom, after screwing up so many times, and this child is so clearly bonded to you and to Maddie. What if this mom actually does get him back? Yeah, there was a couple times. And it was just the worst feeling in the world. Hands down. Just sick to my stomach. Yeah. Darkest place I've ever been. But looking back now with a clearer head, it's just, of course, that this was going to happen this way. And almost how dare the, the system make it seem like it wouldn't. It was so open and shut, but, you know, as we were getting to the end and the attorneys are kind of like, well, maybe we should delay it a little longer till we do the trial to make sure that she doesn't have a chance. And I was like, she doesn't have a chance. No. <laughs> what are you talking about? You're actually saying that a judge could rule in like against us in this situation. Yeah. Oh, oh. so did you have a family plan B like, or did you even talk about what would happen if things fell apart? No, we didn't talk about it. It was not talked about. It was not even something I could really think about. Yeah, I'm sure. I know sometimes again, in those really dark times, I was just like, we're not having like, this is it. I'm never having a child aside from him. Yeah. After this, like almost like I would never be able to mourn the loss of him enough to be able to have another child. But also, we're planning to not have a second child because of all the stress. We're like, no, we're done with one. <laughs> For a very long time, we were done with one. <laughs> we're like, new baby and all the stress of fostering to adopt, we're done. We did it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but oh then, gosh. of course, we so, changed our minds. Yeah. So let's talk about the adoption day first for just a minute, and then we'll back up to little Hazel. So adoption day was, you said, like 15 minutes, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like a lifetime of stress and worry and then like 15 minutes and it's done. 
So you go into court and was Fletcher with you at the... Yep. Yep. He comes with us and we could bring our family, which of course was great. Everyone came and it was really celebratory, but it was quick, you know? Yeah. It was just so crazy that then it was done. And I just have to keep telling myself that it was done. I was going to ask that. Like, did you have to remind yourself for a long time after that? Because you were so conditioned to worrying about it. Yes. I'm sure you couldn't just shut it off. Yeah, I had to just relax about it of just, you know, if he was having a bad day or tantruming or something, and then I'd just be like, but this is it. This is all I have to deal with is yeah. just a tantruming two-year-old. Right. It's not everything else. And this is easy. Like yeah. I just had to keep reminding myself. And I actually, I even kind of had dealt with the stress in waves because I really had to shut it off. I had to compartmentalize it so I could just be a mom right. to him. I had to turn it off. And so I would just kind of deal with it in pieces of every once in a while, really think about the parts that were the worst for me, you know, of, or the hardest parts for me, you know, of like literally taking this two week old baby, getting him to an appointment a 30 minute drive away at a specific time, make sure that he's eaten at a certain time. But then like, that's hard enough to begin with, let alone (laughs) then hand him off to a social worker and then be back to pick him up where he's sniffling, obviously been crying so much and take him home and he doesn't want me to put him down. And, you know, just, so I would just think about those things and think about how hard they were. And I would cry about it a little bit. And then I would just, move on like a little bit at a time every week kind of thing to really unwind myself. I feel during that two year window, were there times when you could, or periods of time when you could relax and feel like your old self or were you like 100% in it? I mean, I know you were emotionally 100% in it the whole time, but were there times when you did feel like you could kind of exhale or was it really not until the adoption was final that you felt like you could exhale? You know, in the moment, I think I felt like I could exhale when it would be the three of us, you know, my husband and Fletcher and I, and we were just relaxing on a weekend or, you know, no timeline. I definitely could exhale and just relax and seeing him when he would be really happy, just playing with his cousins and just not having to worry about the weight that was on all of us, seeing him happy took that away. Yeah. But then definitely there was a deeper exhale after everything was over that I just didn't realize was there to be had. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you <laughs> hadn't considered how much you needed to exhale or even like what that might even feel like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when, yeah. You, when you on adoption day, and I don't remember when I found out relative to all of that, but on adoption day at that time, you were already pregnant with Hazel, right? Yeah. So we talk actually a li- didn't know at that point. <laughs> Who didn't know? I didn't even know. Oh, you didn't know. Okay. Because I was trying to remember when I found out and I it must have been, obviously, if you didn't know, I didn't know. So. <laughs> so were you trying to get pregnant or was that like, yes. on your radar? Yes. She was a plan. So we, like I said before, we were like, you know what? What if just our life only got easier from here on out? <laughs> <laughs> What if we just were done? Because the plan had always to do a biological child after the adopted child. But, you know, in the midst of it, we're like, "Mm, I think we're done. One and done. Yeah. But then as things started wrapping up and we neared him being two years old and we were like, okay, this is going to be finalizing up here. You know, she was out of the picture then. We're like, I think maybe 
we could do this. Maybe there is a little inkling for a sibling for him that would really enrich him in his life. And I kind of wanted to go through the pregnancy experience. We're the most adorable pregnant person I've ever seen in my life, by the way. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you could be like a pregnancy supermodel. <laughs> oh my gosh. Slash spokeswoman for Zofran. <laughs> I was nauseous the whole time. That's right. I forgot you were really sick, weren't you? <laughs> hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. So Yeah, so then we were like, you know what? If we're having like kind of second thoughts or feelings about maybe having another child now, I think down the line we might regret it and we'd rather have that child there, which we obviously wouldn't regret once right. that we have them. And so we, we went for it. But yeah, we didn't tell anyone and everyone really thought that we were done. And so we didn't tell anyone until we were pregnant. Oh my gosh. And so, yeah, she was a few weeks along in my belly present present at adoption day, which is fun to think about. Yeah, that's really cool. So when you were trying to get pregnant, did you have any thoughts about like if the adoption doesn't go through and I end up being pregnant, like how that would feel? Or did you not go there? No, because by the time we actually started to get pregnant, birth mom had signed an open adoption agreement. Okay. And it was done. It was just a matter of us waiting for the court appearance. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So how was the second round of newborn land? <laughs> oh my God. It was amazingly better. Okay. So you can't well, even compare the two experiences. You can't. It was awesome. 
But at the same time, then I also had this three-year-old who at times wasn't so pleased with the situation. (laughs) So it was a mixed bag. Yeah. But having gone through the heart-wrenching experience first, it was so easy to enjoy the good moments the second time. And it was so light because I was like, but this is easy because no matter what, she's ours. (laughs) Right. For better or worse. Right. Um, But I will say... The first six weeks of her life were hellacious. Oh, really? Just, yeah. I mean... In what way? Fletcher was not well-behaved for that six Because months, he... For six weeks. Because he was not prepared to share you? Yes, exactly. He's always loved Hazel. He is so wonderful and doting to her. So that was never a problem of like, I don't like you. It was just taking it out on us with tantrums or... His least favorite time is when I would be breastfeeding her because he knew that I was like off limits to him at that point. You know, like, I'm hungry. Okay, well, just wait a minute. And he would like just stare at me and then just start throwing Legos off to the side one at a time slowly. (laughs) I'm sitting there and I'm like, please stop doing that. Stop doing that. Okay, when I'm done, we will pick all of those up and talk about this. (laughs) Then we got into a good rhythm and every month got easier after that. And it's, again, I couldn't imagine life without both of them. They're yeah. pretty adorable two peas in a pod siblings. They are really cute. Mm. So share, talk about the race piece of this a little bit. So Fletcher is 50% African-American, 50%. Well, I can't remember them. Yeah. He's gorgeous. That's all I know. Is he's so gorgeous, <laughs> but I can't he remember. Is. He is gorgeous. We've had on multiple occasions, We've had strangers tell us how gorgeous he is in the park. He's so cute. So he is 50% African-American, 25% white, and then 25% question mark. Oh. Yeah. Birth mom said several different things. Of She said Filipino. That's what I Um, thought. I thought there was some. Yeah. She said Filipino. She said Indian. And then I said, oh, like Native American or... From India, and she said, "I don't know," <laughs> so, but oh she, he's not Native American because that's a whole another bag of crap that you have right, to go through. Right, but I don't know. I think there is some sort of Asian in him, okay. but we don't know. <laughs> so you and Maddie are both white. Maddie's Australian, with, yes, with the accompanying amazing accent, yes, and, and my Hazel, charming men, <laughs> and Hazel is like little white baby with so much hair it's out of control but so do you get comments or questions or when people see them together when you guys are all out or has anything come up so we had to do lots of training beforehand for transracial adoption and so we were really had a lot of conversations about it and prepared a lot for it okay as far as public things We've only had positive experiences, which is awesome. Yeah. We've never had any negative comments. Maddie thinks he's had a couple dirty looks, but I don't think he has. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was just reading into that. (laughs) We went to D.C. and New York when he was about 15 months. And we were a little nervous because, you know, it's different than Seattle demographically. But we got even more attention with him there. Like, oh, he's the cutest baby. He looks like my baby. <laughs> and like, we literally got on the news because oh the, 
there's like there was a storm and so we were waiting at the train station and journalist was like oh I'm gonna interview you and this baby that looks just like mine like, come on over <laughs> it's so funny yeah it's been awesome only that's positive great. things that's really um, great and there's been a couple times of just asking if I'm his mom okay or like when my sisters had him with her kids I think she was asked like oh are you a daycare provider and she's like no this is my nephew and right. my kids yeah <laughs> and that's it. And then we've even, it's actually been heartwarming one or two times, either once was a little kid and once was an adult was like, Oh, this is a sister, isn't it? Like they could just see that bond between uh, them. And I was like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cute. Well, and it is really, it's cool when I think, you know, when little kids don't see those, they don't see the boundaries that we see that society has put there in so many ways. Right. So it's just not even something to like consider to question for. Yes, it is good until in a couple of years, I think we might get the backlash of that of kids <clears throat> not realizing what they shouldn't be saying. Right. 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 So yes, I mean, it's starting. He's yeah. noticed. He started some questions about, you know, so when I get older, will my skin look like yours? Oh, interesting. Or <laughs> they're around Halloween. Annie's the like natural food maker makes yeah. um, Halloween bunnies, and so they're orange and chocolate. And so he was like, "Oh, this bunny's like me." <laughs> <laughs> and then he picks up the orange one. And he says, "This bunny is not like you, pops. <laughs> this is orange. This is a Hudson bunny, <laughs> oh which is our redheaded nephew." <laughs> That is so funny. So Hudson's the orange bunny and Fletcher's the brown bunny? Yeah, so he just called them Hudson and Fletcher bunny. That is so cute. Yeah. And also, you know, it's just going to always be a conversation that Maddie and I are always having of how to best prepare him to be a black man. Yeah. And Um, also in Seattle, I mean, it's an interesting thing in Seattle because there's not a lot of black people in Seattle. No, no, there's, <laughs> there's not. There's not a lot of minorities, but I mean, we do have larger populations of many other ethnicities, but not African-American families. Yeah, there aren't a lot of African-Americans. There's definitely more than I thought once yeah. I had a black child and was just looking around. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, there's a little more than I thought. And so, I don't know, sometimes I feel like it's a good thing, sometimes, I don't know, because we definitely don't have the big racial tensions here, like, right. say, more down south or something, which is good. Right. But, yeah, there's not too much for him to see. Right. Well, yeah, and, like, certainly it's a blessing that it's not a place of racial tension, which is nice. So then it maybe seems like maybe it'll be an easier road, but then you also don't want it to be, like, something that you have no opportunity to address because right? like, you want to like totally happy unprepared. Middle, the middle ground. Yeah. So how would you say your family is stronger and better for all it's endured? So much stronger at just enjoying the everyday. We are so much better at that. <laughs> and just not stressing about so much stuff that doesn't matter once you realize what your priorities are. And I think we're just better at understanding that there's so many different families out there and different things that people are going through at different times as well that you just don't know about. Yes, that quote that like everyone is 
fighting a battle you know nothing about. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's very I definitely true. felt like that some days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So final question, remind me at Fletcher's adoption date, was it May? Yep, yep, okay, it so was. We're coming up on two years then, right? Yes, yeah. So you had the two years of turmoil, and mm. now you've had two years of having another baby, but also like knowing exactly like predictable family measurements. Here. <laughs> so how have you been able to start to find yourself again after that experience and after like kind of after you were able to start to exhale a little bit? Yeah, it definitely has taken time and pushing myself a little bit because I was so devoted to him because he needed it. And I just had a conversation with myself that what was most important was his emotional stability and his safe feeling. Mm -hmm. And I could put myself on the back burner and I would be okay. And I would get to myself later. And that was just something I had to do. And it's been really glorious to meet myself again um, (laughs) and take the time to be so much more social with my friends and pushing myself to get out and exercise while he's awake (laughs) instead of sneaking out while he's sleeping. Yeah. And, you know, my husband and I are like, no matter what, at least once a month, we are going out on a date, Nice. which we didn't have before at all. And it's been great to find that balance and also not to carry guilt about it. Yeah. Like I did before where I was like, no, he's lives a very wonderful life and he's very well cared for. It's okay if he would rather me stay, but I need to go, (laughs) you know, right. To yeah. just find those parental boundaries and walk that thin line of what's good for him to grow and develop more independence. Yes, I find that with Vinny because he didn't get much food his first few months of life. I spent a lot of time and I did not know he was not getting enough food. And so we had like this long period of me feeling like I don't ever want him to feel like he's not getting his basic needs met, which meant like I did not leave him for kind of similar thought where I was like, I have to make him feel safe and taken care of and like all these things. And then I got to this point where I was like, you are a safe kid and mommy is leaving. Right? Yeah, it definitely is that point where it's like, all right, all right. Yeah. You're a, a healthy, thriving four-year-old right. now. You can scream as much as you want. I'm still leaving. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, for me to be a good mom at this point, I need to go. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and that's, I think, yeah. And I think when you put yourself on the back burner for so long that it becomes, you don't even recognize that you're doing it because it's your new normal. Exactly. So when you've done that for two years, you have to be really conscientious of doing anything outside of that. Like you said, like pushing yourself to, I'm going to go do something while he's awake because you've on autopilot not done that for so long. Yeah, exactly. Because then it was also, well, now we have another sibling. And so it was just kind of getting pushed along, but it's been really lovely. Do you have any advice for people who are interested in fostering or foster adoption and like, Words of wisdom. Yes. Uh, do it. Do it. Do it. It's really fun. My husband and I, a couple of times now, have gone and talked at like an information meeting at our adoption agency of people who come in and are interested. And so, and they always have a couple who have gone through it that come in to talk. And I love it. And we always say, first off, we have a unique experience. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know. Even the social workers were like, boy, this is harder than a lot of them are. Well, that's uh, that's good, though, that people because like if I were to do it, I would expect that your situation was just normal and that like it's right? going to be two years no. of insanity. I mean, and that's what they say. They can never tell you, you know, when you're saying yes or no to a child, they're like, we can't tell you exactly how it's going to be because we just don't know. You can't predict how these people are going to behave. Our birth mom just happened to be very savvy to the system and angry. So it took a long time, but a lot of other situations are, you know, it's a really beautiful joint effort between a birth parent and a foster parent coming to a place where they adopt and there's lots of different situations. So I would just say, look into it and always, always be sure that you have a lot of support around you though. That's good. That's really great advice. So thank you so much, Jillian, for being with us today on the Shameless Mom Academy. This is such a treat to be able to, it's funny because now when we see each other, it's either in a group of like 10 women. So we never get to talk (laughs) one-on-one. Or it's in a group of, with your family where there's like 10 small children. (laughs) So it's so fun to just be able to chat one-on-one. It's true. I love sharing our story. I love talking about it and it's just really, breaking it's, that stigma of fostering. Yeah, it's a really great story too. And I really appreciate you sharing it because I know somewhat cathartic and somewhat emotional. And mm-hmm. I should also mention that it's nine o'clock at night because we are recording after all of our kids have gone to bed. <laughs> so we're digging deep on a Monday. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, this is when you can do these things, right? Yeah. So. Everything is at peace at my house. So I feel good. Like I can concentrate now. <laughs> well, like three minutes before we started the interview, our dog ran away. So I think she's come back now. But I was like, this is what happens. Like, the child is running around upstairs and the dog is running out. Now everything's quiet though. So I think I got the better end of the deal because <laughs> Vince has had to manage all that. And I'm just sitting down here in my office with my tea. <laughs> so thank you so much, Jillian. And I hope we can have you back. I would love to be able to talk more about this as the kids get a little bit older and as things continue to evolve. So thank you so much for spending time with us today. And we will talk yes. to you again soon. Yes. Thank you for having me. Have okay. a good evening. Thanks. You too. Bye. I'm so grateful to Jillian for coming and doing an interview with us. You know, most of the people that I've interviewed up to this point, or actually all of the people I've interviewed up to this point, are people who have their own businesses and they are used to speaking and they've done interviews before and things along these lines. And that's not Jillian. Jillian came on the show as a mom wanting to spread a message. And I'm just really, really grateful that she did that in, holy cow, in such a graceful way. She's so well composed. I feel like I'm not that composed of a mom, but I really appreciate her coming in with an open heart and to share a really powerful message and hopefully spread some love to some other foster kids who really, really need support and who need lifelong families, just like Jillian and her husband, Maddie, are providing for Mr. Fletcher, who is just the biggest cutie, as you will see over on the show notes. So if you want to head over to the show notes, you can see Jillian's whole family. And that'll be over at shamelessmom.com. You can see her up there with her gorgeous little kids and her husband. And you can also send us notes from there. So you can always comment and send us episode questions or comments to info at shamelessmom.com. And in addition to that, like I think I've mentioned in the last couple episodes, we are finally on social media. We finally got our act together. So you can find me over on Instagram at the Shameless Mom Academy or on Facebook at the Shameless Mom Academy. You can also find me. I'm noticing that most people are just going straight to my personal page to find me on Facebook, which I kind of love because you might not be surprised that 
I'm not so filtered on Facebook, just like I'm not so filtered on the podcast. Like I'm a pretty open book. So if you want to find me on Facebook, on my personal profile, which is public and not private, I'm over at Sarah, no H Sutherland, as in Kiefer Sutherland, Dean, D-E-A-N. So you can come stalk me there. I honor stalking, as you all know from my episode on how to be a better stalker. So please come fangirl all over my Facebook page. I would love it. I am looking forward to talking with you again soon. I hear little footprints running down the stairs right now to get me. So I'm going to sign off. I hope that you have a fabulous day and make sure that whatever you do today, you are completely shameless. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.